Wow, it's been a while, but this is Michael Lowe, and you're listening to May I Ask You a Question. My next guest is Landon Miller, lead pastor at Calvary Church of the Pacific in Aia, Hawaii. This conversation happened back in October 2020. I know, a while ago. Landon and I talk about his adjustment to pastoring in Hawaii over the past two years, adjustments he's made, had to make, during COVID. And he looks past the touristy side of Hawaii and gives some caring perspective on its people. Thanks for listening. Landon Miller, thanks for coming to the podcast. May I ask you a question? Yes, you can, Michael. <laughs> Landon, we have been friends for, I think it was about three years ago, or three and a half years ago. I think I first met you, 4th of July, at Carpinteria. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. <laughs> I do. And you that drove that a... beast of a van that was, I think it was maybe having some troubles at the time. We were supposed to come, if you remember, the night before yep. and actually camp with you guys, but we got stranded. Fascinatingly, we were stranded in Santa Clarita and we left from Santa Clarita. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got real far. Yes, we got far. We got five miles down the road. <laughs> yes, um, I do remember that. So, uh, uh, you know... Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because during COVID, I'm sure a lot of people have thought, oh, where would I like to go? A lot of people might, might like to go to Hawaii. And so I thought the next best thing would be talking to a pastor in Hawaii, and that being you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't come to Hawaii during COVID. There, I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, okay, let's start there. Tell us about it. What, what has it been like since uh, February, March-ish? Oh, Mike, it has been... It's been strange. I think that's like the, and I think everyone can relate to that, right? It's just been strange for everyone. Super surreal. Um, nothing's been normal. We're all learning how to do something. We're chasing a target. We don't know actually where the target is. Um, at the same time, I can honestly say I am so thankful um, that, you know, we're in Hawaii. It's actually been a great place to be during you know, some sort of a quarantine or things sure. like that. And so, yeah. so we have to remind ourselves of God's blessing and some of those things. Um, it's been a learning experience. I think that uh, we have, yeah, I, I can also say it's uh, something I can be thankful for in relationship to some of the things that we've had to experience and go through. Um, yeah, but it's been different. It's been very different. I think it's been different for my family. It's been different personally. It's been extremely different for our church. Um, we're just out of rhythm. There have been wonderful, wonderful blessings, and there's been some really difficult, like really, really difficult things that have come through this as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you've been there for about two years now, right? You moved in October yeah. of 2018? Yeah, just made two years. What is ministry like in general, you know, pre-COVID times? Uh, what was that kind of year and a half or so like um, for you? What were your expectations? How was it different? Because I, and let me preface yeah. it by saying, when I personally think of Hawaii, I don't think of the people. I don't think of their day-to-day -day lives. I don't think of their plight. I think right. of like an object of my tourism, an object of, you know, beautiful beaches and kind of um, what it, what seems easy for me to do is forget that people actually live there. Um, right. and, and have lives and that, you know, as much as we may joke, hey, I'm going to go on a missions trip to Hawaii, like it's it there are real needs there and real people there. So, yeah, touch so on I that think you're hitting on some things that are 
um, kind of important. And I will say this, I mean, when I, you know, when I think about Hawaii, I, I actually only think of the people, um, partly because of my history, right? So my mom grew up in Maui and a lot of my family lives, uh, you know, on the islands. And so there was always a family connection. So we came, you know, for um, hard things, like when people were in the hospital, we came for family things. Um, it just so happened that lived in a place that had beaches and things like that. We yep. spent summers here as well. So in some ways, it was like a second home. And the thing that has been like on my mind for years, one is that my grandpa pastored for 40 years in Hawaii. So I saw the ministry context through his lens. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know it fully, but I was in some ways experiencing that and in some ways desiring that from afar. So yeah. as the people connection comes into play and the ministry connection and those things, that's been on my mind for probably some years, not really knowing it, but definitely um, there's been that that churning inside. Um when people, though, talk about Hawaii, I know that we're not talking about the same thing. So often, you know, the question comes up about like, oh, man, it must be so amazing to like, <laughs> you know, have a church in Hawaii. And they're right. only thinking of the beaches. They're thinking about weather. They're thinking about food. They're thinking about their vacation that they saved up for. And it was like spectacular. Yeah. And um, I've also get the same questions, you know, that are almost the cynical, like, oh, hmm, must be tough serving Jesus in Hawaii, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, actually it is. Yeah. And they're like, oh, what do you mean? You know, and so there's been a little bit of a juxtaposition in that of having to articulate in some ways what we experience, you know, and what Hawaii is like. I mean, I'll just throw it out there, it's not an easy place to live. It's actually a very difficult place to live. Most people people are working two to three jobs because of the cost of living. Yeah. Um, tourism is the main, um, you know, income here, the main industry. And so, you know, you have a society that is deeply entrenched in the reality of people being here and using the islands, so to speak, or the islands. Um, you have, you know, upwards of 10 million people a year coming in as tourists. So you have the transient type, um, you know, people group that are constantly coming in, coming out, coming in, coming out. The island that we live on in Oahu is highly militarized. There's a lot of military, um, which, you know, two to three years or sometimes five years, you have people constantly transitioning out of churches. Yeah. Uh, so so now you take the people group and you have a people that have been here for many, many years, and there's a there's an underlying frustration that that lies within. And what that is is, you know, they love people. They're probably the kindest, you know, people I've ever met in my life. They'll give you the shirt off your back, but they constantly deal with people leaving. Mm. And I would maybe categorize maybe like four categories of people that come and go through Hawaii. You have uh, the people who come for vacation and it's like, take, 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 never give back. Right. It's like, I'm going to get, I want everything the Island offers me and then they leave. Right. Mm-hmm. And so on the tourist industry, people are going to serve them. They're going to care for them. They're going to come, they're going to leave. Uh, then you have the person who's like, I'm going to go try Hawaii out, but I want Hawaii to be exactly like my vacation. So I'm going to yep. move over here. 
And I'm going to come here thinking that this life is going to be just like my two week vacation. Yeah. And so they're here again. It's kind of like take, take, take. It's all about what I want to do. And then they're not happy when it's not the same because much of the island is actually, you know, low income. Right. I mean, it's not it's hard. People are struggling to make it. Uh, Homeless rates are like some of the highest in the country here in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. So you've got large homeless population. Uh, Then you have another group, which would be military, and they come, you know, three, five years, and then they're gone. And then I think the last category would be people who come that are here to stay and actually be a part of whatever the island is. Whatever the culture is, they're going to embrace it. They're going to be a part of it. It's going to be their home. And, you know, so when someone from Hawaii realizes that you're here to stay, that you're here to be among them and with them and around them, you know, you couldn't find a greater, you know, person to be a friend with or to be desirous of being in your life. But there's also a peculiar kind of look, you know, they're always kind of waiting. Are you, are you staying? Right. So for my first year and maybe even after, you know, there were questions that would come up in conversation, even amongst our people that would be like, Hey, is he staying? You know, so how do you, how do you like it? You know, and how's it going? How's your family doing? And from the very beginning, we came to be here, you know, Mm -hmm. like we're here. So like you weren't thinking this was a stepping stone or no, never. No. In fact, ministry wise, I think here in Hawaii and in many other places, I mean, it's almost like a mission field to some degree. I mean, you, you move to the most remotest place in the world. So we're the we're a place in the middle of the Pacific. We, uh, we're the furthest distance from the largest city anywhere in the world. Hmm. And so you have this remote little island. It has a lot of commerce. You have people from all over the world who come in to this island. You know, and so you leave your home. You leave the mainland U.S. You leave the people that you're around, your families. And, I mean, it almost felt like we were preparing to not come back for a long time. Yeah. And that's been true, you know, especially during COVID. It was like, well, we're here because there's no way to actually get off the island. Um, I mean, we could, but you'd face quarantines on both ends. Um, right. Who has the time for that or the patients? Um, yeah. So it's a matter of like trying to understand the ethos of the island and try to figure out, you know, we're here for good. What is it like? And both sides of the quarantine have been different. I mean, mm-hmm. What do you Extremely mean? Extremely different. Uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, in the early side, there's that starry eyed, like, here we go. We're going to go into ministry. We're excited and all these yeah. things are going. Like it's novel. Um, it's new. Yeah. And it, yeah, the, the, the novel, the novel virus, right? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's new. You're, you're you know, you're thinking about all sorts of things, you're planning about all sorts of things, and then you get into the trenches and, you know, you're just having to work through just the normalcy of ministry, um, the the undergirding the foundation of any church, which is discipleship. Yeah. And, you know, it's not so glamorous, right? So, right. you know, um, and especially in contrast, right? We came from a well-established church so to speak, in California, Southern California. And then we come to the small island and so there's a lot of differences. And yet at the same time, it's just really, it was very exciting, really fruitful, um, challenging. 
Uh, it was a, gr- a super growing time. Uh, never in the world would I have thought that in my first, you know, senior pastorate that we would face a worldwide pandemic. And then, well, honestly, yeah, if, if, if you if you had expected that, that would be amazing. <laughs> I know, I know. I could have really helped everyone, right? Not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> of my wonderful following, not. Yeah, right. Uh, no, so it's been, yeah, so everything changed, right? I mean, you just, we go one day from like having this calendar that we're planning and we're going through, and we've got all these things lined up for the year, yeah. to like sitting in a meeting with 12 people discussing, you know, hey, should we um, shut church down or go online this Sunday? Right. Now, you and I had talked previously, like, I was kind of a little bit adverse to having my sermons online. Yeah. So, you know, not only am I having to wrestle with some of my own conscience and some of that, um, I'm having to wrestle with how do I feed the body? Yeah. You know, and how do I effectively shepherd these people? And if they're not hearing the word and they're not being shepherd, they're going to go find a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're going to go looking somewhere and yeah, so I to be satisfied because they all have yeah. a longing, a need, a want. Yeah, totally. So I felt this total like, you know, responsibility of we've got to do something. And so began the plan, you know, of, um, you know, trying to make a plan for our church to bring a team of people and um, good collaboration. You know, God just allowed some wonderfully gifted people to be a part of our church to help. Um, school administrators from a large, you know, public school here, a state representative uh, in our state, um, our elders that are all, you know, gifted in different ways. Um, yeah, just to come together and help to kind of formulate a plan and work through that. And then we watch the plan change, like I think a yeah. thousand times. <laughs> right. I, I think any organization has right during this time. Yeah. And I didn't know that as a pastor, what would happen, you know, really for the next, I guess it would have been from like March to June 1st, mm-hmm. I was filming six days a week. Like, wow. I, you know, and who knew that that would be, or that like my pastoral role would be like video editor. Right. Right. Never ever planned to do that. Right. And well, yet, that w- it wasn't, it wasn't part of your seminary curriculum. No, I mean, it should have been. <laughs> well, we, we, foresight, <laughs> for, hindsight's always twenty twenty. <laughs> No way. Yeah. I was like, hey, um, I'm going to take this class on video editing because <laughs> right. I really think this is going to help yeah. my platform, you know, for help my platform. <laughs> well, j- just to to kind of explain what you uh, touched on, uh, I think if I correct me if I'm wrong, you, you were saying you, you're, you were hesitant to put your your sermons online um, because as you thought through them, the sermons are for your specific audience at at the church where you are, it's called Calvary Church of the Pacific. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. How do you say that? How do you say the city name? Aia. 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 All vowels. All that. Yes. It, it. It. It kind of. My brain runs into walls when I try and pronounce Hawaiian yeah. words. Um, <laughs> but but as you think through your sermons, they are specifically for uh, you know the people in your church, or at least in in the specific locale. And you're, right. as we've grown to learn more and more with the internet, people treat the internet as uh, a place, that kind of like a, a courtyard of different perspectives that you don't have to care what other people think, what you say or hear, and and how you respond to certain things. That you can just 
be critical however you want. And you wanted to be careful about that because um, people around the world wouldn't necessarily hear it the way that you're crafting it because you're thinking of specific people in your congregation and your community as you, as you preach. Well, let me clear this up. So I, I believe in, you know, exegetical expositional preaching. I, I believe that the intended meaning of the text needs to come out. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so we're looking at, grammatical historical and redemptive history and we're wanting to make sure that that is clear uh in our exposition and our delivery now the difference is in our church you know we have from our youngest to our oldest that are listening to sermons and part of that is the size of our church and it's growing mm-hmm. but we don't have a kids program that's going on during this during the the um the main service right oh, no yep. ever yeah. Um, that's just something we do. And so, you know, I'm working on and and trying my my best by God's grace and his power to deliver a sermon that is going to feed our people. Right. Mm-hmm. It's going to feed them in a way that they can eat and they can enjoy the word and then go and digest more and more of it as they leave on Sunday, almost like a springboard into the week. And so, you know. What I would preach to our church and how I deliver that to our church, obviously with deep exposition as best I can, um, you know, isn't going to be the same for someone who just clicks on, you know, a link and they want to listen to a sermon on whatever, First John 1. And right. they're like, oh, my word, like, I can't believe this pastor is using these words. Why wouldn't he use like this word? And <laughs> I mean, truth be known, I don't use a lot of the original language in the sermon yeah. Uh, because I don't believe it's very helpful for our people on Sunday morning who who have no real understanding of the Greek language. But some of them actually do. I mean, they do, or the Hebrew language or whatever. And I have such a limited understanding of that. I don't want myself to look like, oh, there's the guy who knows everything. I actually want to help them to learn to study yeah. and learn to understand the word. And so, yeah, I know that there are, I mean, there's just so many great, you know, preachers out there. And in our conversations, you know, even earlier, I think it's been helpful for me to think through the audience, you know, because yeah. even as I listen to sermons online, you know, of a, a preacher that I, I like to listen to or or a text of scripture that I want to listen to, um, I rarely think of the audience that that preacher is preaching to. Yeah, And it's been very good for me to think in terms of that, you know, it's helpful for me because I have to do that on Sundays um, and throughout the week. I think that's been one of the hardest things, you know, just having to adapt, you know, to yeah. our setting. Yeah, it, uh, it is interesting, right? Because as you think and try and prepare a sermon, you are looking at the in- intent of what the scripture is trying to say, of what God is trying to communicate with us. The ironic part is that if I listen to a sermon from, you know, from some church that I'm not even a part of, uh, it, it would probably be helpful for me to listen to that sermon thinking, oh, I wonder who he's trying to address. I wonder what they're going through. I wonder why yes. he's uh, focusing on on this passage specifically and this part of this passage. But instead, I don't know if this is true for all human nature. If I wanted to be cynical, I say I would say that it is <laughs> true for all human nature. But the, the thought that we usually have is, well, does this, does this jibe with... Uh, what I understand and know to be true. Is this true to me? 
Um, and we kind of look at it through the lens of our own personal lives as opposed to, well, right. why, why is this person actually saying this? Where, where is he coming from and uh, right. where is he trying to go? Who is he trying to help? Right. Yeah, I think that's helpful for us to think that way. I mean, there's dangers and pitfalls all around, Michael, when you think about, you know, even in the context of just preaching, you know, it's it's easy for us to think through our own lens and to be mm -hmm. very myopic. And I think yeah. we're always trying to divorce ourselves from the text, right? And not read into it, you know, not be bring the isogesis into it. We're trying to you know, really understand what the text is. But where it comes in is, you know, I want and desire the people to be able to understand and hear and grow in this. And there are certain things that come up in the life of your own body. You know, like we had during COVID this year, we had a death of a loved, you know, one of our loved members. And was it, it due was, to COVID? No, it was not. It was due to pneumonia. But, um, and, you know, this is an elderly man, one of our kapuna at the church, and it was just really hard. It was different, mm -hmm. you know, and so, you know, to be able to minister to our people during that time and care for them, knowing that these are like hard things, it doesn't mean that we read that death into a text, but there mm -hmm. were certain locations in the text that would help, you know, to encourage these people, which I was so thankful in God's providence that that was, you know, what God had allowed. So, um, it's just, you know, it's just one of those things that definitely has been hard for me, um, you know, to wrestle with. And I felt like in one night I went from like, you know, I'm still wrestling with should I put sermons online? Yeah. Uh, to like, your everything's your life is now online. And and just to let you know, like, I'm not a social media guy. Like, right. I, I'm not I'm not a uh, Instagram influencer. Just want you to know. Yet. Yet. <laughs> Yet. Um, I just don't, I mean, we don't put a lot on social media. You know, right. I don't have a lot of pictures out there. We, we aren't, we don't use it that often. And to go from like, we need to use this as our, you know, main means of communicating was hard. There was yeah. like an internal struggle for me because I, I don't like being out there, you know, I, yeah. um, you know, I, I, in some ways protect our family and my life and my, you know, my time. And now all of a sudden, like you wake up and it's like, I got to get that post out, you know, yeah. I've got to make yeah. sure that, you know, this thing is over there and I'm having to ask my children, you know, like, Hey, uh, how do you actually do this? <laughs> you know, like, how do you spell Instagram? <laughs> Like this is a face gram and Insta book, right? Like what, what are we doing here? <laughs> like help, help, please. Uh, you know, so here's the thing that's cool though, Michael, like go back in December. I, I, um, I was asked by my cousin to do the video work for a wedding, you know? So she just asked because she was having a wedding and, you know, I can do photography. I'm really not like, proficient at videography but she's like hey could you do this we don't you know we you know whatever and I was like yeah I'll do it so I did the videography and I was like oh man this is crazy the part that was really hard that I didn't realize was the editing yeah and yeah, that's, that's, um, where the, that's where the legwork is well that's I wish someone would have told me that so <laughs> uh, so I had to learn how to edit and 
Um, so the, the wedding was in December. I was working on it, working on it, working on it. And I finished her video in February, right? So I learned how to edit videos in this period of time. And I was super frustrated with the, the process of like, how do you do this? And like, yeah. what in the world? And I was watching tutorials and asking questions. And then COVID happens. And you know what? I had to edit a video every day, you know, six days a week. And yeah. we're doing a video one day a week now that we've kind of we're moving out of this this phase. But I was so thankful that God put me through a crash course. I didn't yeah. know that I would ever use that in ministry. Right. And right. all of a sudden it became like the tool that I had in my belt. Um, that I was just like, Lord, thank you so much for allowing me to have that tool. And I complained about it. Like I well, of complained. Course, of course you did. Of course, that, that's what we do. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah, Remember. I know. It's so frustrating, but it's so exciting, you know, to look back and go, you know what? God takes us through the moments, you know, like this, they're rigorous, they're trials. Um, and they're really only a trial that we're experiencing because, well, my kids probably experienced my frustration through that, but um man praise the lord because it's like the useful thing right uh, and i've got to preach in first thessalonians this week on being thankful so now i have even like you know real life experience <laughs> well i mean it would <laughs> it, in some ways you are still like a a wedding videographer because you're you're continuing to culminate the wedding of christ in the church right <laughs> michael i love your segue <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is very true. Thank you. Um, I, I I wanted to go back though, uh, even for a second, to talk a little bit more about the the people in Hawaii. You talked about kind of the four buckets initially. I was like, is he is he is he going to tie this into the 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 um, the the four different soils? But um, <laughs> um, I'm not that good. No, well, yet. Um, but I uh, like, do you when you went there, then they must have been fairly skeptical or cynical or just kind of like, all right, is this guy really just coming for like an extended stay or is he going to be here for a long term? Uh, did you feel like you had to prove yourself or did you feel like, OK, let's just let's just focus on the habits and what I want to do week to week. And uh, that will prove itself because my family is here to care for these people. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I think had I been younger, I would have probably been a little more fearful of that and probably tried to curtail my life, you know, mm. to just be so focused on that one thing. But, you know, th the Lord is kind, you know, I was not ready. Um, and I'm still I feel like I'm still struggling in learning the role of pastor. Yeah. Uh, in a in a church and the the learn of the, the role of shepherding these people and the care you know that the good shepherd has for me and that I am in turn trying to you know model and you know continue the process in my own life and so um I, you know yeah this is I mean this is the first time I've been a lead pastor or senior pastor at a church but it comes you know roughly 20 years into pastoral ministry in different in various roles through the years. And so all of those, I think were really, you know, preparatory in helping me. Um, there were years uh, early on that I thought I was ready to be a pastor and it was obvious I was not. And then this came 
in a very unique time that I felt like I wasn't ready. And then the yeah. Lord was like, no, it's time. So, um, you know, we, we came here and we told them we're here for good. And I, I do look back. So when I think about the time that we were talking to them and they were talking with us, um, there was a lot of questions that were when you say talking, up. you you mean you mean like before you actually like kind of the yes, the, yes, the interviewing process, process or whatever candidate, yeah, okay. yeah, and it was a fast process if you remember, Michael. It wasn't like these years going by. It was literally June twenty seventh to October fourteenth. Like yeah. that was the, you know, so it's like either God is not in this and you're going way too fast, so like stop, or God is only in this and you can't do anything about it and it's going to happen, and that's. <laughs> really what happened. So um, God knew that we needed these people. They, God had people in this church ready to care and minister to us in ways we did not know. Yeah. We didn't know that this is what God was going to have. Uh, at the same time, in God's providence, God knew that these people needed us, you know, and mm -hmm. so the body has been naturally fit together and we're learning and growing together. A lot of the questions early on in that process were related to, you know, us and our life and our connection with Hawaii. And they really, and as I look back on it, they really wanted to know, do we know the islands? Like, do huh. we know what it's like? Like not, um, not the names, but the cultures and the, and the, yeah. The kind of yeah. Like, like, can you name all of the islands? <laughs> have you, how many times have you watched Polynesian movies? Have you seen Moana? Yeah. Have you seen the Lewis yeah. stitch? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about Hawaii Five-O? <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyways, yeah, I, I think that, you know, I can look back and go, wow, there was a lot of questions. And I think that that was definitely, you know, something that they were concerned about, um, you know, and at the same time, some of the things that God has used to just show himself as strong is like, there was an impossibility in their minds, the, um, yeah. the search team, they're like, there's no way that uh, a family with six children, a family of eight, can <laughs> literally move to Hawaii and make it. It's impossible. Right. You mean financially, and so, primarily? Financially. And, yeah. you know, and then in that was like, oh, they're just going to end up like, you know, they're going to go back. You know, like that was a thought. But watching like the testimony of God in their lives through this has been really incredible just to hear like, actually, yeah, this has been something that God had planned. And I think that I've gone business as normal. You know, I like, I'm not trying to go out of my way to go, Hey, by the way, I'm here for good. Remember? <laughs> right. Right. You weren't whispering into people's ears or trying to like sell yourself or convince them or could sell the idea that you're there long-term. What's up again? Long-term yeah. right here, you know, in it for the right. long haul. marathon, not the sprint. Right. You know, so I don't, I don't have to do that. Um, I think that my very way of life is we're here, you know, like we are vested. We're, we're trying to be invested. Um, you know this, but we we're I love people and, you know, relationships are like really important to me. Yeah. And um, I tend to be someone that, you know, when we are anywhere in life, I start setting roots, right? Like, okay, here we go. God's going to have us here forever. And so I don't, I just kind of have a switch like, okay, we're here and yep. it's time like, get to know people, be in people's lives, be all in. So that's been something I think the Lord has worked on us through the years. And it's been very natural just to be deep rooted here. 
Um, one of the things that's a lingering component to this right now is that we are still renting uh, because of the cost. I mean, the cost of, of homes in Hawaii is so expensive. So I think that if we were to, I mean, we're trying to buy a home, you know, and we're just praying, God, would you allow us to buy a home? I think that's a piece, you know, that would help. (laughs) So do you sense do you sense that some of the people in the church are like still kind of maybe not fully arms crossed, but kind of just like looking and kind of thinking of, uh, in one part of their brain, like, let's see if they actually stay. And then once you buy a home that it, it'll be like, okay, wow, they are here. I don't think so anymore. Okay. I don't think so anymore. I feel like it's just a real, I mean, there's just a real invested nature of our people towards us and towards our family And, you know, I think it's reciprocal. Um, At the same time, like I, we want to set our roots, you know, and I think a home would be one of those components. But, you know, like we're having to wrestle with, you know, yeah, are we comfortable with, um, with the, the median house price in Hawaii right now is $880,000. Well, this might be an opportune time. Did you want to? Uh, did you want to announce your GoFundMe page on the uh, on the podcast? Well, hey, if anyone's <laughs> listening and they want to take part in ministry in Hawaii <laughs> and and they want to, you know, honestly, a no interest loan, um, no interest loan would be great, <laughs> and a no timetable, but we will pay you back. <laughs> we will pay. Um, you just hey, let us they... know. <laughs> That, that was that was a joke, by the way, for the uh, for those who are cynical of what I'm saying. <laughs> I just think it's hilarious, though. Like, I mean, we know that God is bigger than that. We know that, but it's funny because in the beginning of COVID, Michael, we were thinking, "Wow, maybe God is allowing this coronavirus so that the housing prices go down, oh, wow. and people have a chance to buy a home." I mean, right. that came through my mind, and the prices went up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, we, I don't know if I told you we just bought a home here and we experienced the exact same thing as we were shopping. We're like, oh, man, this is like I mean, I thought Cal, I mean, obviously living in California, would probably think I'm better than everybody else anyways. But I thought the housing prices in California would be superior to the ones here. And it's just it's more competitive, especially in Seattle, I guess, with it's growing. But yeah, um, yeah the housing prices did not uh, interact the way that I had thought they were going to. Right. Well, I mean, because the, the nice thing is to know that I'm in such a lucrative business that it'll be pretty easy when we choose to, you know, buy a home. <laughs> I, I thought I recognized you from the 700 Club. Um, <laughs> I call it the 800 Club now. <laughs> 880,000. Yeah, that's 880,000. Million. Um, so um, as, as you've... Um, tried to build roots there. Um, what, what do you find? I'm trying to think about and kind of get an understanding too, for the, for the culture and the people there, do they, is there a resentment towards the people from the mainland, whether or not, you know, they're the tourists or the people who come and stay for longer times, or even the military folk, um, that, you know, have, um, stationed that are stationed in, in Hawaii. Is there a certain attitude towards those people? So this is a hard question to answer, Michael, because I don't know if there's one answer. 
Yeah. I don't think that there there's one consistent answer across the board because you have groups of people that are highly resentful. Mm-hmm. Um, so your indigenous uh, population, the indigenous people group, um, you know, that would be quote unquote Hawaiian or Polynesian um, by descent. Uh, there's so much culturally speaking that speak into this, um, even the fact that we're a state, right? So you have a group of people that want their sovereignty back. They want this mm-hmm. to be a sovereign nation. And so you can uh, you can sympathize with them, you know, of how historically things were done that probably were not right. In fact, you can agree with that. Um, you like know, like but, kind of a colonization kind of a colonization yeah, mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yep, absolutely. So it happened, it's history, you know, so we know that. So I know that we come in to a setting where there's going to be tension, right? So people don't want foreigners coming. Um you have a big culture of defend Hawaii and so it's like a culture that's kind of like again we want that sovereignty. Um the land is vital and important to them um to to the Hawaiian people. Um part of it is just their polytheism, mm-hmm. uh, which is rooted in uh, in gods that um, that would be the land, and some of those facets you have um, heiaus, which are these altars around the islands that were used um, throughout history to sacrifice to the gods and things of that nature, and so those are very sacred. Um, you know, on Big Island, there's the the uh, Mauna Kea, which is the mountain or the volcano there, and they're putting up a big 30 meter telescope. Um, but there's sacredness up there, so they don't yeah. want that. Yeah. Um, so you have that side. Then you have just the fact that the island is used. It's constantly being used. And if you care so much, like in that cultural side, and quite frankly, we are we should care for you know God's creation, and we should care for the land and things of that nature. We don't worship it, mm-hmm. but we should. Um, so there is deeply ingrained in the culture a care for the land and it feels like at times it's constantly being used used and used and used it's being promoted and publicized it money's being made off of it it's not cared for in a way that it needs to you know replenish right so when tourists come by the droves and again they just take 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 and never give back yeah, it's really hard. You know, it's hard to see that. At the same time, they know that it's their income. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you'll see people that have to put on a face, you know, because they're working in a hotel industry or the travel industry, because they know they have to make money and they know they're going to do that, but they're going to go home. Yeah. And they don't want tourists in their home area. Mm-hmm. You know, so there are parts of the island where, honestly, I would recommend to any tourist don't go there. It's not worth it. Like uh, one, you're because, probably not, not because. Gonna be... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was saying, is uh, you were you were just about to uh, answer my question. Go ahead. I was going to ask yeah, why. It, why do you say that? Yeah, because it's it's going to be it could be hostile. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to be a place you want to be. Uh, you're gonna you're going to stand out. Yeah. And most of the people there are like, hey, we'll serve you in Waikiki. We'll serve you at the hotels. We'll serve you in these areas, but don't come to our home. Yeah. Because yeah. our home is for family. And when I say family, I don't mean just immediate family. So the Ohana is a family, which they would say here on Hawaii is anyone that embraces them and embraces the culture and embraces the the people here in the land. And so 
there is a real desire to have that family feel, mm-hmm. but if someone is one directional, it doesn't feel very family. And so it's like, don't come. You're not a part of that. So there's terms like, you know, Howley is re- referenced to a white person, um, which the Hawaiian word ha uh, oli, which means, you know, without breath. Huh. Um, so, so kind of a know, heartless that, type of an idea or like a, yeah, it can be, it wasn't always derogatory, oh, okay. but, um, in some ways today, it's a very derogatory term. Yeah. You know, so one is with breath, one is without breath and one referred to the white man, one referred to the uh, indigenous. So, yeah, I think today there's definitely some animosity there and mm-hmm. you have to work through that tension. The same thing goes for military because the military, especially on Oahu, they have so much of the land. And so yeah. some of it is viewed as sacred land. And so at the same point, it is the most strategic military spot probably in the world, obviously in the Pacific, but mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a very strategic spot for the military. And we also recognize, and I try to have a, a mindset that thinks through these things from different angles, but I mean, if the U.S. wasn't, you know, if this wasn't a United States um, occupied or a state within the United States, it would most likely be occupied by another country. And, yeah. um, you know, so you look at that in perspective, you know, would you rather <laughs> right. be occupied this one or by another one yeah. or this, you know, so obviously I can go, obviously I want to be in the United States. I'm a citizen here. Great. But there's a cautiousness as well about how I, you know, act and how I decide and choose to treat people here. And it should be the same anywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. So I could go to England or another country and Americans are often looked at as loud, verbose, arrogant, prideful, you know, and lack humility you know because it's all it's all about us at times and we're kind of big and we got you know whatever it it shouldn't be that way in fact we should go to another country and be willing to think about the people right and what would what would frustrate them what would offend them and i'm going to function and live in a context that would actually serve these people and be a guest right right um i think that in the same way here in Hawaii, if people had that perspective of, you know, instead of coming like, I'm going to, I'm just going to come here for the beach, get to know the people. Yeah. You know, yep. like be relational. Me, don't, don't just relate yeah. to, to your own desires and comforts and satisfactions. Yeah. Ask questions, you know, yeah. like people here are amazing Yeah, and their stories are amazing. I mean, you talk about some of the hardest working people I've ever met, you know, here on the islands because it's not easy and you know when i say hawaii and people i say you know what there are parts of hawaii we live on an island so there's a million four hundred thousand people on all the islands combined Mm -hmm. there's a million one hundred thousand on oahu it's the most populous island wow there's a lot of people here yeah there are a lot of third world type settings in hawaii there's a lot Mm -hmm. of places around the island that don't look like the postcards right you know that honestly are tough and it's a struggle and most people never see that um was it hard for them i mean kind of uh you were talking about how a lot of uh the indigenous um 
people view white people, or at least people from the mainland, um, you have roots in Hawaii, you individually, but was it harder for them to, like, did they look at your wife and your kids any differently since, uh, you know, they don't have the same uh, lineage? Yeah, so that's a good question, Mike. Uh, so there's a couple things in that. Um, maybe I can explain it this way. So yes, that is true. But I think that we read into everything as sure. like a racial front, right? So like someone cuts you off, you know, in any other place, it would be an accident and you'd be like, oh man, that guy didn't even, you know, notice. Well, yeah. when you come to it knowing like, oh, there's tension between races here, then someone accidentally cuts in front of you and you're like, they did that on purpose. Right, right. Because right. I'm a colleague. Or right. they looked at in a certain way or they acted in a certain way. So I think that we have a tendency to read and yeah. it's not actually – it's probably majority not always true. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but it doesn't always mean what we think it means. And I'll give you an example. We, When we were candidating and coming here on a visit before we met the church, Nicole and I were together. We went to a store. And I'm talking to the people at the store, just having a good conversation. And they're asking me what we're doing. And I told them what we're doing. And the lady goes, oh, are you a local? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. She goes, oh, man, you look like you're, you're local. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then she looks at Nicole and she goes, and you look like you're married to a local. <laughs> oh. And so Nicole took that as like, oh, this is our life. You know, like yeah. this is what it's going to be like. Well, Fast forward, um, we are here, and we've moved here. We've gone through this stuff. We go back to that store, and you know, that interesting thing happened. That person did not recognize me, hmm. but that person went right up to Nicole and was like, hey, well, how did it go? Are you guys here now? And like totally wow. remembered Nicole, huh. and they had the sweetest conversation, and it went, like her, com her comment was not like a, oh. You're a low, you're not, you're married to a local or whatever. Right. right. The conversation was totally meant to be like nothing. It yeah, yeah. Like, just an observation. It yeah. was just an observation. And in, in all honesty, it turned into like this lady actually knew Nicole and remembered her and knew the situation enough to care, you yeah. know, to bring it back up, which I thought, what an amazing testimony, um, you know, for us to be able to know that. At the same time, Michael, there are places that Nicole's not going to go. Yeah, on yeah. the island. Does she? Know, does she like? Uh, is she sensitive to that? Like, does she feel like I am? I always going to feel like an outsider at times? Yes, there are times that she has that feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. And we live now. We live in a town that's fairly local, so. You know, I think it's been kind of fun to actually be here where people notice you now. So like now we've been here for in this house for a year and a half okay. and we've lived in this community and people in the community notice Nicole as a, she lives here, you know. And so it's it's been very helpful, um, you know, to have that relationship side of things. So it's almost like not a big deal. Yeah. Um, but it's always going to be something, you know, in our time. It will always, uh, because of the culture, it's always going to be, you know, a part of what we deal with. Yeah. Yeah. It, sure. it, I mean, it, but uh, the sense that I get, though, too, is that because 
both you and she are so relational, then it it won't necessarily give her a pass, so to speak, but it'll it'll help kind of help the locals get get past the fact that she, you know, she she isn't one or she doesn't look like one. Yeah, totally. And I think there's I mean, that's just true in any, you know, Christian love. Right. So, you know, we we choose to look at people as people regardless of, you know, ethnicity or whatever. And and we're learning that, you know, I think we have to learn that in different ways. We have a a guy in our church who is um, who is mentally handicapped and he does not see race. Hmm. He just sees people. Yeah. And um, and I think the, the Lord has used that in my life to show me, you know, some of the the issues that I face in my own thought to my own eyes, because, you know, at times I see someone and I'm like, you know, I have all these thoughts and this particular person will walk up to anyone. He could care less age, ethnicity, you know, the the guy could be like, who knows, like, you know, coming to hurt somebody and he'd be like, Hey, you know, how's it going? You know, it's just a really amazing, I think, trait, you know, for me to observe and see and also to see his usefulness in the church because, like his greatest desire is to greet people. Like he, yeah. he, that's what he wants to do. He says, I'm gifted at greeting. Huh. I'm he, that's what he that's told me sweet. right away when he came to the church, I'm gifted yeah. at greeting and I would love to lead the greeters. And I'm like, who, whoever does that? Right. You know, like right. <laughs> and just embraces like, it. Right. This is my role. This yeah. is my role in God's economy that yeah. I'm going to greet people. And I just thought, what a sweet, um, picture of the body of Christ that just have been really, it's been a real impactful thing. Thanks again for listening. In the second part of our conversation, Landon and I talk about coffee, homelessness, and his love for his family.